Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to week 219 in video episode number 45 of Music Is Not A Genre. Each week I take a release or some for my collection. I discuss them, give you my take on them, throw in some information and weirdness and all that stuff and connect it to my music and to uh, sometimes other things in life and larger issues. If you like this podcast or my other podcast music is everything or any of the live recorded music on this site, please uh, take a moment to subscribe and ding that bell so you get notices every time I upload a new video. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, and uh, if you really, really like what I'm doing, uh, there's an even better way to support me, and that is to uh, support me on Patreon. Uh, two things there. First of all, to follow on Patreon is free. To become a, a member of Patreon is free. So please, if you're not on Patreon, go sign up for free. Look for Music Is Not A Genre, patreon.com slash music is not a genre, and follow me for starters. And uh, like I said, if you're really into what I'm doing, for as little as $5 a month, you can support uh, everything I do and more. Uh, and uh, for even more than that, there are exclusive uh, podcasts, uh, a special edition podcasts. I'm starting a new interview series, which will be only on uh, Patreon and things like that. So please take a moment. It's on the banner there. You'll see the little link, uh, Monog on Patreon. And if not, then uh, patreon.com slash music is not a genre. And also, if you think anybody you know would be interested in the kind of music obsession that I purvey weekly, then please share this YouTube channel and share, if possible, the link uh, for the Patreon page. Thank you so much. Um, Boy, we are in for it this week. If you've been with me for a while, you know that every now and then I like to do a little bit of a, a house cleaning, a clearing. And uh, that is when I find albums that have some kind of a link to them and uh, don't necessarily feel like they warrant their own full podcast, I lump them all together. We got a big one. Uh, this, this week, 13 uh, 12-inch singles. 13 12-inch singles, actually. From the 1970s through the 1980s. And that's why I am calling this podcast, and here are my notes, Weird, Where Disco Went When It Stopped Being Disco. Where Disco Went When It Stopped Being Disco, The Evolution of Dance Music, 1978 to 1987. And yes, those are arbitrary dates based on the collection that I have here. Check a look at that stack. Come on, look at this stack. Look at it, look at it. It's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. There's only a small portion of the of not only my overall LP collection, but my collection of DJ music. This was what was left over. I've done one or two uh, podcasts on 
DJing and DJ music and dance music and house music and things like that uh, based on s some uh, more significant LPs and 12 inches that I thought did warrant their own podcast. In this case, this, these were all the leftovers. Uh, let's be honest. This, these were the ones that were left there that I had actually earmarked and intended to do as a collection months ago and just waited for the right time. This is the right time. Why? Because just this past weekend, I did a virtual live streaming gig with my band, Wreck, for our new EP, Syncope for the Weird, on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, everywhere. And it's all about... Uh, funk and dance and hip-hop and soul and all of that stuff and pop, of course. And so I thought this was the perfect time. Not to mention, it's always the perfect time to dance. So uh, a couple of things here. One is, if you check the text, I didn't go into every single one of these the way I'm going to do here. You people who are taking your time out to watch, you get this as, you get the special, you know, more detail, things like that. Plus I can talk faster than I can write and and then you can read, probably, although I don't know, maybe you're a speed reader, I have no idea. Evelyn Wood, you remember Evelyn Wood, anybody? Uh, and the second thing is, has skipped my mind for the moment, so let's just pretend I said one thing and, and move on. Uh, these albums, um, if you have been following along with me, you know that they have some significance to me, even if each song itself was not the most important song, because dance music and DJing very much influenced a lot of what I do, even when I'm not doing that particular type of music, even when Wreck is doing straight up rock music or punk and things like that, there's still an element of this in there. Uh, and especially in the way that I produce. So keep that in mind as we progress through here. So some of the things I wrote down below in the text uh, are have to do with the fact that dance music evolved over hundreds of years into something in the 1970s that had what's called a four on the floor beat, which means uh, one kick drum per quarter note. So four, ki four kick drums per measure, <clears throat> like that, which characterizes much of disco and uh, almost all of dance music uh, after that. Not all of it, because things evolved afterwards. But in particular, in this, like I said, arbitrary 1978 to 1987, it kind of works out that those are the only, uh, you know, LPs or, or 12 inches that I have, because that was really the period when dance music morphed from disco into uh, sort of shadow of disco and, and, some, and other completely different things, but related, as I'll talk about, and, and uh, didn't quite become what it was going to become, the thing that, that it would become in the late 80s and 90s and beyond that would influence all of popular music pretty much after that, almost all of popular, popular music. So this period, 78 to 87, is a perfect way to illustrate uh, how it got there. Um, so let's just, let's just get right to it, because there's a lot. There might be 13, 12 inches here, actually 15 singles to talk about. Um, starting with this, which was re actually released in 1985, but uh, the songs themselves are classics, because it says Disco Classic Series, if you see that. Um, and they're both from, one's from 1978, one's from 1979. The 1978 song 
is called Love and Desire by uh, a band called Arpeggio. Uh, Arpeggio's lead singer, Jessica Williams, no relation to the comedian and actor, um, worked with uh, Thelma Houston and Diana Ross, so she has a real pedigree in music and especially in uh, disco Disco diva I saw on her Facebook profile. Uh, Jessica, if you're listening, uh, thanks for accepting my friend request. That was really cool, and I'm glad to see that you're, you're still kicking it out there. Um, and it is also uh, characterized, or was characterized, as a type of dance music called high-energy music, and that's, that's spelled high, H-I-N-R-G, and NRG is all caps, which is just like it sounds—a high-energy dance music, and you know, with certain other characters. A lot of this, a lot of these songs end up being that. And that four on the floor beat had a big, you know, uh, big part to play in it being that. So the second song on here was from 1979. It's called "French Kiss." No, I'm sorry. It's called "Panic" by the band French Kiss, and. I wondered why these were paired together. Normally there's one single on uh, a 12-inch and then they have mixes on the other side, remixes, stuff like that, or some lesser-known song. In this case, these were two fairly um, successful singles in the disco world, in the late-era late, late era disco world. And it turns out that they were both produced by a guy named Simon Susan, Susan, S-O-U-S-S-A-N, uh, who's from Britain, but uh, I think, you know, migrated to New York, let's say. And uh, he produced both of these bands. So I feel like he may have had something to do with reissuing them, or maybe he owned the rights to both of them. And that's why they put them together. And uh, that makes sense. So these songs are both very traditional uh, disco songs with the strings and the, you know, you can, you can hear it in your head if you know disco, except uh, they, they have a kind of, I would describe them as a Giorgio Moroder sound with a little more jauntiness, a little, there's a little, almost a little humor thrown in there here and there, or a little more oomph. Uh, Moroder had a very dynamic and, and very seminal work, but he had a bit of a more like laid back, um, you know, performance approach and the way he produced things, whereas these kind of went out there a little more, um, which is cool. Don't ask me why I have this other than the fact that it must have been something in a bin in a DJ store, and a DJ store was an equipment store that had record bins, if you don't know what that is. Um, this, uh, you know, so that really represents kind of the more traditional disco, which is, a, you know, a good place to start. And now disco... If you should know, and maybe you don't, but and if you don't, that's why I'm here. You know, uh, relied heavily on actual instruments. It wasn't until later, kind of in the disco era, when they started adding more electronic uh, instruments to it, mostly keyboards replacing other instruments like horn sections, string sections, things like that. But predominantly, disco was were actual bands creating the music, uh, bands that might have been funk, uh, for starters, and and morphed into disco or Latin funk and things like that. There's a lot of Latin in there. Uh, you know, that was kind of the mix there. And if you have any memory of this era or know of it from history, you will know that disco, uh, there was a whole disco sucks movement in the late 70s, and it very quickly became cliche and passe and mocked and reviled and all of that stuff. And 
That doesn't mean, though, that dance music in general went away. It just means that disco kind of fell out of favor. It was kind of uh, eating its own head. You know, it was it was it was repeating itself in many ways. It was becoming like you know, kind of uh, too self-referential and all that stuff, uh, which happens with a lot of uh, types of music that don't evolve, except that it did evolve. And that's the whole point of this particular podcast is is that. Disco didn't go away. And as a matter of fact, um, the way I wrote about it, I think this is really true, is when you're experiencing changes like this, they seem seismic. They seem like, ah, oh, that was old, terrible crap, and now this stuff is new and fresh, and, and it's bringing you know, new elements and exciting, which means, by definition, it's completely unrelated. It's just so, so very different. And the thing is, uh, it did, you know, dance music in the 1980s did bring a ton of new and fresh things. And I'll talk about that a little later. Uh, but it's not true that it's that different from what came before. And as a matter of fact, re-listening to all these 15 songs, uh, which if you see, I have a YouTube playlist there. Please go listen to them and put them on in the background while you're listening to me, if you can. Um, you will find that there are so many similarities in the way things were produced and written in the chord structures and things like that from the late 1970s in particular into the early mid 1980s there's just a lot of a lot of commonality there so anyway uh hopefully i won't take that long talking about every single one of these this second one we're jumping ahead just because i happen to not have anything from in between uh, 1983, and this is uh, by the group Rags and Riches, Land of a Thousand Dances. It's a medley of old songs re-performed, so covers. It's a medley of covers of old songs. That's the entire length of one side of this. Uh, Shotgun, Twist and Shout, Cool Jerk, Walking the Dog, Watusi, La Bamba, Locomotion, Mashed Potato Time. And then on the other side is a special dance mix version of El Watusi and La Bamba. I'm just reading this. And uh, I am, you know, not a fan of that kind of thing. Now, I will say listening to it in hindsight, it's not terrible, right? The reason why a DJ gets something like this is because in any group you're playing for, there are always people who prefer the oldies, who want to hear the oldies, who like the oldies. This is a good way, to be honest, to A, get them all out of the way and, and appease, you know, the, the, the fans, but also weave it into the other music that you're playing. Because what this is, is those songs redone, but with a kind of a disco or let's say dance beat behind them. And to me, they were very much, this is very much related to um, the things that happened in the 1970s where they would take classical music and create, you know, dance songs out of them like a fifth of Beethoven, Night on Disco Mountain. If you know Saturday Night Fever, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and a kind of a precursor to what I didn't know was was called the Jive Bunny album, where they would take actual samples and clips of oldies and remix them with a dance beat behind them. And man, when I tell you that is not my beat, that is just not my style. I'd rather, honestly rather hear the oldies as they were than to try to do that. But again, in hindsight, it's so of its time, it's kind of neat to hear. So uh, this is also from 1983, uh, singer Pamela Stanley, Coming Out of Hiding. Coming Out of Hiding was a huge hit. It was a very big hit in the pop world, but, but of course an even bigger hit in the dance world. And it was kind of, 
I think this is a this was a really big song for me, and I know that because I re-listened to it, and it didn't sound like what I thought it would sound like in some ways. I remembered the hook and all that stuff, and the general tempo and her voice and and all of that. But what I didn't, what the way I remembered it in my head, it, it was sounded darker and it sounded a little more forceful and aggressive, and that was me feeling that at the time because it was, I think, for its time, it was a little slightly darker and slightly more aggressive, but also over the years morphing that into what I think of as more as darker and more aggressive in terms of dance music, which is where dance music went in the ensuing years anyway, especially after the, the starting in the late '80s. Um, but to me, that means this must have been a really important song because it stuck with me to the point where I uh, inadvertently changed it in my head as I grew and as I and as I changed. And I'm positive that there's a certain element of aggressiveness in a lot of the dance, uh, dancey music I do, or music that has a beat like that. And it comes in part from a song like this. And this again is a, another high energy song. Uh, this Pamela Stanley had a disco background, but this was her kind of slightly reinventing herself for the 1980s. It had, what was the big difference there? Electronic instruments, uh, electronic drum beat, electronic bass. Uh, there were people who played instruments on various dance songs in the 1980s and by instruments or anything like acoustic instruments, like guitar and, and such. But for the most part, most 1980s music was uh the, the samples and sequences and and keyboard synths uh you know 80, 808s and other drum machines and and uh you know fake uh, the big keyboard bass and things like that and sometimes even keyboard voices which we will get to uh later and that's what this that's what this was uh, not all of that i mean there were actually more real instruments on here so this was sort of a midway point 1983 makes sense not that electronic dance music didn't uh, exist before then it really certainly did um pamela stanley from uh philadelphia uh, like like me and uh, not the only person here from philadelphia on my list and it turns out she's still out there. She's doing more jazzy stuff right now and, and some dancey stuff, but good for her. I think that's awesome. I always love hearing that. This next song, two songs also from 1983, and they call this Disco Dance Classics. I don't know when, I'm going to take this out of the plastic because I don't really care. I don't know when I got this. Um, oh, yeah, 1983. I, I find this to be a, a, a bit of a, I don't know, misnomer, because these were actually when the songs were released, I believe. It's a band, it's a Canadian band called Lime, who at the time were a husband and wife duo. They have since been divorced. The band doesn't exist anymore. The, the husband, uh, Dennis LePage, uh, um, wife is Denise LePage, uh, Dennis uh, eventually uh, became transgender and now... Uh, performs under the name Nini Noblesse. Good for her, awesome. Uh, but in, in Lyme, you know, they were married at the time and uh, they, this is, I mean, this is interesting to me because it, it went truly dark sounding wise before a lot of dance music did that. Now, post-punk and new wave did start to go dark before then, more, you know, the darker tones is what I mean. 
But dance really didn't. Dance still had that brightness to it, the way disco was bright and everything. It didn't really start to morph into darkness until later on. But I got to tell you, this, this Angel Eyes in particular, Guilty, I don't know as well. It's the second song. Angel Eyes is the first song here. Uh, I'm, it sounds very Euro. It has a very Euro sound and that kind of a darker sound. And the keyboards and the, and the synth sounds are awesome here. It's a really kind of one of my favorite 80s dance uh, styles. And I got to tell you, I would be very surprised if Trent Reznor didn't know this. And, and go ahead and listen to it. Lime, Angel Eyes. Band is Lime, song is Angel Eyes, song is Guilty, either one, particularly Angel Eyes, though. You will hear what I'm talking about. You will hear how it has that kind of push, that kind of slightly aggressive push and a dark tone to it that I think did influence people like Trent Reznor and everything, and you know, and who got his start really in the late 80s. So that was 83. Big year, huh? Well, 84 was a pretty big year, too. This is the band Temper, and the song No Favors. And uh, the guy who did this was named Anthony Malloy, who then went on to break up the band a couple years later and start a band called Anthony Malloy in the camp. I don't know much more about this. This is really straight-up dance music. Um, but I got to tell you, when I listened to this, the biggest surprise here was how dry the rhythm section was. If you know anything about the 80s, and I don't care if you're talking dance, rock, pop, country, Everything, every goddamn piece of the rhythm section had a reverb on it in some way. Just think of the big snare crash, snare crash. <sighs> with the echo, right? Uh, or even small gated echoes, whatever. Gate, you know, they, it all had that. This doesn't. This honestly was very forward sounding. It almost sounds like uh, 90s dance music or 90s boy band music. Um, this is, again, the band Temper and the song No Favors. You got to listen to it to know that. Now, the other thing I found out is apparently this was a huge song on the Jersey Shore, which makes perfect sense that this would be in my catalog uh, and my collection as a DJ because I grew up not 45 minutes from the Jersey Shore. And that was where uh, we would vacation every year, as many of my friends and family did. That was a big part of my life. Not like that damn show. That was a cliche, and a lot of those people weren't actually from Jersey. Fun note. But you kind of get the idea. And when I listen to this, man, that's, I mean, you totally get why that that was the case. And I can almost feel it in my gut. And, and, and because of that dry production quality, though, honestly, this one holds up better than a lot of the ones that I'm talking about. So 1984, again, Big year. I think this 1984 was kind of the pivot year when dance really pulled itself out of that funk disco and became, started to become its own thing. House was becoming big at the t you know, not big, but uh, was really bubbling up at the time and all of that. So this song is called Touch Me All Night Long. It's kind of, of any of these, it's one of the more well-known ones. And it was a uh, band Wish the featuring Fonda Ray, who does the singing. And the, you know, this was a, a this is a song... Let, I remember this song before I even played it. A lot of these I don't honestly remember or remember that well. Maybe vague, vague memories of them. This one I remembered. Hold me, baby, drive me crazy, touch me all night long. You know, and just on and on. Um, even, the, even the keyboard sound. I remember that key part. 
It had a very let the music play kind of beat to it, but a brighter, but with a brighter tone. And it had a vocal sample thing, which was, it was a keyboard where you would record just a couple second snippet of you doing something, maybe even one second. And then it would, it would save that sample and you would be able to play it on the keyboard and it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it would pitch shift it based on where you played it on the keyboard. So you could play an entire scale or chord or song or whatever. It was usually uh, mono, so one note at a time. Uh, and it would be like, oh, hee, hee. you know, that you would be that thing. And I had a keyboard like that. A friend of mine actually got me that keyboard again because I gave it away or some dumb thing way, way back as uh, the Casio SK-1. I don't think that's what this is. They probably use the more expensive one. Um, but it had that same thing. You record part of your voice and you play it on the keyboard. So I thought that was very cool. This was, again, what... Um, one of my favorite uh, songs of this collection. And and it might be, if, if you want to listen and say, screw the rest of this playlist, go straight to this song. Because it is the quintessential 1980s dance song. And in fact, is the reason why I titled this Where Disco Went When It Stopped Being Disco. You will hear what I mean when you hear this song. Um, 1985, interesting. This group, the Barquets, uh, Your Place or Mine. I don't know why I have this, right? I looked up the Barquets and that was not, not the biggest or even second biggest hit from the album that it came from in, in 85. Um, but I have it. I thought, oh, maybe it was in a movie. Not that I can find out. I have no idea. Uh, maybe it was the one that was affordable next to the one that was I, I don't remember. But I had a chance then to look up the Barquets and find some things out. And they uh, started in the 60s. And were actually worked with, uh, they, ba they were the backing band for a while for uh, Otis Redding. And if you know anything about Otis Redding, other than his awesome voice, is that he died tragically in a plane crash. Well, it turns out that a great many of the Barquets were on that plane and also died. One of them survived the crash. Another one wasn't on the plane. Those two ended up reforming the Barquets and continuing on. I believe until this day, they're still playing. And what happened was they went from that kind of R&B soul that you know, you know well from the late 60s and Otis Redding and all that to funk and then to disco in the 70s. And their career, you know, flourished in those, in those realms in particular and somewhat in the pop world through the 80s, through at least through the mid 80s. Um, this, there's a song, they, they are mentioned, the Barquets are mentioned in the famous Sugar Hill Gang song, Rapper's Delight. Um, they remind me of, uh, I've been listening to, uh, catching up on the Isley Brothers, who again are also still around. They started a good 10, 15 years before, 10 years before the Barquets, but in a similar way, they, they went to funk and soul and things that in the 70s as they morphed and then more, and some poppier things, but still soul and funk in the 80s, were able to evolve with times and keep their career going. Now, the Isleys did it at a way different level of success and, and competence, I think, than the Barquets, but you got to hand it to the Barquets for doing the same thing. This song, Your Place or Mine, it reminds me of the Daz Band mixed with Prince. Again, you got to listen to it to know. It's why I have the playlist for you. you got to listen to these things. Um, and... Yeah, that's it. Oh, they were from Memphis. Another interesting thing. I don't know. So moving on to 1986. 
again, a nice connection here with the Barquets in a way, because the Barquets had such a great uh, disco career and, and, and 70s career, is the band Eastbound Expressway with the song Knock Me Senseless, again from 1986, but they formed in 1976. Their first hit was Never Let Me Go in 1978, and what was it? It was a disco hit. Um, and they reinvented themselves a little in the 80s to create this song, Knock Me Senseless, which was a decent hit, but a pretty big hit in the, in the dance clubs and all of that. And really what it was, was what happened with disco, which is it swapped out the real drums for electronics. So this, again, it's a kind of a, it's not the perfect 1980s dance song, but it's a good illustration of what I'm talking about, how disco changed into dance, right? So go ahead and listen to this and uh, enjoy the Latin piano and understand the connection there to disco as well, you know. Um, and now 1986. This is more 1986 than that song, honestly. This is not a throwback. This is uh, the artist Regina and the song Baby Love, which she co-wrote and intended to have it sung by Madonna, who declined, I think, because she was moving on to slightly different things. You listen to Baby Love. There were people back then who thought it was Madonna. If I heard this today, I would think it was Madonna, like a, another album cut or some lesser hit or whatever. It's a really good song. But man, you can hear that uh, Madonna sound in there. Turns out they worked together in the earlier part of the 80s. Uh, Regina helped Madonna with some of her backup vocals on something. I don't know. Um, which I guess is why she thought, oh, Madonna might do this. Turns out she was able to have a hit on this herself, which is, you know, very cool. Um, she started in New Wave, which then Madonna started in kind of New Wave as well, and post-punk. That was very typical because... If you know anything about New Wave, it came out of post-punk. It was like the electronic post-punk, in a sense. And you're thinking about bands like New Order, who evolved from Joy Division and stuff like that. And then Depeche Mode came in slightly later. And they were dance music, too. They were techno music. And that's a distinction. But they, they did a lot of dance songs, especially New Order. And that was... They were early, you know, adopters of where all the music was heading, in that... They were predominantly electronic with some actual guitar and actual other things playing along with it. And so you can hear kind of that coming out of Regina with the Madonna influence there. Um, all right, so 1987. This is when things start to get a little baked in the 80s in the sense that, you know, everything sorts of starts to run its course and you need an infusion of new ideas before things, you know, get too, too uh, stale. But, you know, why not give props to somebody who'd been around for a while, even back then? Herb Alpert, who started way back and became famous in the 1960s with the Tijuana Brass and had hits back then, uh, instrumental hits uh, mostly. This was from the title track from his album, Keep Your Eye on Me. Uh, again, I'm not 100% sure why I have this song in particular because there were more well-known songs from this album including the song Diamonds, which had a vocalist named Janet Jackson, and that was one of her first breakout performances. Um, she was the featured vocalist on that. This song, and uh, I, don't, I think it might have been the whole album, was produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who worked with Prince, who ended up producing Janet Jackson, among others, and influenced so much of music in their heyday. 
uh, and so much of pop and dance and funk and, and, and R&B music. Uh, and you can hear that big time when you listen to this. You can hear the Prince influence, but you can hear Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis really coming into their own. Um, and this was the first R&B uh, attempt for Herb Alpert, who did a lot of different kinds of music and did a pretty good job with it, you know? This sounds very remixy, like almost like a Trevor Horn production, which look him up if you like. Yes, their album, I think from 83, you know, Owner of a Lonely Heart and those songs, you can hear what I'm hearing in my head. It also sounds a little like Din Dada or Beatbox from Art of Noise, uh, but with more, more actual sung vocals. Uh, this dude, Herb Alpert, 85 years old right now. Still, I don't know what he's doing, honestly. But it's cool to hear that he's still out there and still, you know, alive. A um, lot, of, lot of connections to the past in this music moving forward into the 80s. You could say that at this point. 1987, you know, there's all the rest of these are 1987. So this song, it cracks me up. Bam, 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 I came here to jam by the band Left Lane. Bunch of women, I believe, from Miami. A couple of these acts uh, had some connections to Miami, but in particular, this one, Miami, was really coming into its own as a as a place where a lot of good dance music was being uh, produced and created. And the interesting thing about this is, first of all, I had forgotten what the song sounded like. So when I listened to it, my suspicions were completely correct. And that is, that same year, there was a song by uh, a guy who could be looked on as a little bit of a Lothario, let's just say he had, uh, well, I'll tell you. The song was called Boom, 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 parentheses, Let's Go Back to My Room. And if you continue the chorus, it goes where we can do it all night and I can make you feel right. So let's just say, you know, I don't know that would fly today. Actually, it might. I have no idea. But even back then, I was like, this is making me a little uncomfortable, right? Well, got to hand it to whoever wrote this and certainly the performers in Left Lane. This was a complete answer song to that called Bam, 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 I Came Here to Jam. And they pretty much do the entire song with different chords, different melody, but the same lyrical structure and change the lyrics uh, to fit their story, which is, we're just here to just enjoy the music and have fun, dude, back off, in, in a sense. But in a funny way, with a little sense of humor, but with very, you know, kind of pointed, like, you know, female pow empowerment, uh, which I thought was kind of awesome. It It's not the greatest song in the world, but guess what? Kind of awesome. And uh, was also considered house music in the way that it was produced, but late house music from the late first period in that it has actual verses and choruses and sung and that which a lot of early house did not. Um, all right, getting down to it. 1987, yeah, it said it. Siree, I'm sorry, I don't know 100% how to pronounce this. It still has the plastic on it. And this is a song called Last Chance. Last Chance, Baby, to Love Me. And um, this is a music called Freestyle, uh, which also comes up a lot when you hear high energy, when you hear house and, and, and sometimes techno and stuff like that. And uh, it turns out this, this woman is still out there. I checked her website out. It's actually really cool. She does more than just music, although she still does a lot of music. Very, very passionate performer, writer, producer, and artist. And again... People, you know, get their little minute in the spotlight, which sometimes then lasts decades and sometimes doesn't last at all. But the people who keep doing it, they're the, they're the troopers, you know, they're the road warriors. 
uh, and she's one of them. The, this is an interesting song production-wise, especially when you start at the beginning, you know, right at the beginning before she comes in and sings. It's, it's as if New Order and Depeche Mode finally freaking got together and said, let's write a song that sounds like Let the Music Play. <laughs> it, it's true. I mean, you got to listen to it. You'll hear Let the Music Play. But in the production, you'll also hear some of the, um, you know, more out there kind of uh, uh, pointed production that Depeche Mode was, was coming into at the time, uh, coming out of its kind of synth pop roots. And, and then that kind of darker under, you know, uh, underbelly or... Uh, the, the foundation with the, the way the uh, drums and bass were produced of New Order. But the way it's sung has much more of a let the music play and there's other elements rhythmically that are kind of um, the keyboard in particular. Uh, so kind of cool. Again, not my favorite, but, but, you know, cool to listen to. And this, in fact, this entire playlist is kind of cool to listen to. And uh, I hate to say it, people, we're on the last one. If you stuck around this long, you either really like me or dance music or you fell asleep watching this or you're doing other things while you're watching this or I don't know. But either way, I'm glad you stuck around because we're coming to a song again, 1987, a band called Will to Power, Dreamin'. And there were a couple songs on this list that really hit me hard in terms of influence. One was Coming Out of Hiding. Um, songs that are not on here that should be Let the Music Play Last Night A DJ Save My Life you know things like that absolutely Angel Eyes In A Way from Lime uh, I want to say no favors but no but so what I'm going to listen to it as soon as I'm done here uh, Touch Me All Night Long Big Time right and then this one here Will to Power Dreaming if you listen to the music the dance music that I have done, you'll hear a direct connection to this. It's not even that I even remembered the song that well. It must have sunk into my bones in a way. And uh, I'll get to that in a couple of minutes, actually. Uh, it's, it is ambient techno pop. It has a slight dark quality to it. It moves very well. Um, it has... Uh, these great kind of, like I said, ambient keyboards, but a lot of high energy. It's, it's like straight up techno. To me, when I think of techno uh, from the 80s, this is what I think of. When I remember going, not as a DJ, but as a, just a you know, fan, a customer, to dance clubs with friends and, and girlfriends and all that, um, in the 80s, discos were called dance clubs. It's the same thing, really. Um, this is the type of music I remember hearing. They played all kinds, but really, this is the type. This is a will to power, dreaming. Please listen to it. Listen to the whole list, but listen to it. Uh, was masterminded by a guy named Bob Rosenberg, who was also born in Philadelphia, but moved to where? Miami. So you'll feel the connections of both of those. He Actually, I found out he wrote it for his sister, Robin, who had died. The, the, the song, the, the lyrics don't, correspond to that necessarily but there may have been some other significant reason why you know it was done that way um really yeah so much of this kind of music was in dance clubs back then and if again if you know anything about me you know that i've always loved uh, the influence of dance music if not all dance music 
Uh, and yes, dance music uh, after this period started to get darkner. It started to get into industrial and acid house and, and rave and, you know, uh, all of the, you know, like, like, like I said, Nine Inch Nails with Trent Reznor and Moby even and, and Prodigy into the 90s and just on and on and on. Um, this was the breaking point really right after that. Not that it hadn't started before, but really this was the last gasp of this type of dance music was in the late, was in the late 80s. And like I said, of the age I was then and all that, it was a big influence on me. And you can hear it very well in a song that is off my band Rex's brand new EP, Syncope for the Weird, which is everywhere right now. And the song is called You Make Me Wanna. And it's a, it's a straight up dance song and no reason for me to describe it other than listen to this list and then go listen to You Make Me Wanna or do it the other way around. Uh, it was in the, uh, the show that I just did uh, this past Saturday, as a matter of fact. And you'll hear the influence. You just absolutely will. Uh, do you like dance music after all this? Hopefully you do if you listen this far. Do you like music from the 1970s and 1980s? Do you know any of these artists? These are mostly really obscure artists other than Herb Alpert, to be honest. Unless, if you, unless you know the artists specifically or know that type of music really well or the music that they came from, like disco and funk and soul for some of them. Um, Really, I don't know that you would know any of these artists, and there were many that I had forgotten their names, to be honest, but do you know them? Um, do you remember that area? Were you alive and remember the morphing that dance music you know, went through, disco being just completely hated, and people thinking that 80s dance music was so amazingly different, which it really was not until the late 80s and mid to late 80s? Um, I want to know what you think. I, I want to I keep this conversation going. Yeah, it's a long video for a reason. But I want to hear, I don't care. I would sit here and if you were right in front of me, I'd keep talking to you right now uh, for another two hours or until I got hungry. I don't know. Um, because my objectives as always here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you so much for listening and watching and reading and clicking and sharing and subscribing and hitting that bell on the YouTube channel and for checking out my Patreon page and for enjoying and loving music and the talk of music as much as I do. And I will see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.